0: True repentance connects us to God, saying, I'm sorry, does not. So I'd, <clears throat> we're going to spend just a few moments tonight. We'll come back to the prodigal maybe in two or three weeks. But <clears throat> I'm going to hit a, a thought. We're still talking about community like we've been talking about in this whole series. But let's get right into the main verses and pick up from there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Just one verse. that says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Christ died, did die for all of us, so we he died, so we no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us, who raised us back to life. And that word compel means pushes us, constrains us, holds us in place, uh, keeps our life together, and what keeps us. Going, really, is if it's, a, its an understanding in, of how much Christ loves us and we've we given our life to Christ. So what keeps us in the race, what keeps us, well, what should keep us is a fresh understanding of Christ died for you and your life is no longer your own. You belong to Christ. And understanding his love is what compels you. When you love your wife, there are certain things you will do, certain things you won't do simply because you love your wife. Because we love God, there are things that keep us, God's love keeps us in check. It keeps us all in the straight and narrow because we have an understanding uh, of his love and what he did for us. First Peter chapter 4, verse 2, it says that we would no longer be guided by sinful human desires as you live the rest of your lives on earth. But instead, you'll be guided by what God wants you to do. You've already lived long enough like the people who don't know God. You were immoral. You followed your evil desires. You went around drinking and partying and carrying on, it's the same thought, that you no longer do what you used to do. Now that you know God, your life would be lived out a different way. You'd be following a different pattern. You no longer live the way you used to live. You no longer think the way you used to think because you had an encounter with God. So we talked about, for a couple of weeks, we called it actually, last week was called Death Below to Me First. And I said, Christianity only works if we die to self. And I talked about us being our problem is me first. You know, if you've got, if you're a parent, every parent knows this, you don't have to teach a child to say me first. It's like almost they're born saying me first. And as they get older, sometimes the parents would tell the kids, you know, you shouldn't be saying that or you try to hide it. Well, kids, you know, they don't know they're supposed to hide it. They just laid it all out. Me first. They want it first. But in every one of us, there's this me first that's just what we're born with it's selfishness it's me first it's what I want when I want it how I want it and I said unless something radical happens to us that's how we'll live our lives now in Christianity what's supposed to change everything is called repentance is when we have an encounter with God our life is radically changed the two verses I just read said, you are living this way, you're going that way, following these desires, you meet God, and it's like you're going the opposite direction now. Your life is radically changed. That's what's supposed to happen when you meet Jesus. And God, in his grace, he deals with this me first in all of us. And when we get saved, I don't know, you know, I guess I could ask some questions here, but I won't, but when we first give our life to Christ, I don't care where you give your life to Christ. You give it at church. Uh, I give my life to Christ in my bedroom. I knelt down, led myself in a sinner's prayer. I remember Pastor Greg asked me one time, Carrie, where did you get saved? What church did you get saved in? What's your background? And I said, well, Greg, Pastor Greg, I said, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I met Jesus alone. He <laughs> said, oh, no, this is at a conference. He goes, oh, no. And I said, no, I'm being serious. It's in my DNA. I, I said, led myself in a sinner's prayer and in my bedroom, I gave my life to Christ, and the next day I was changed. That's really what happened. But the truth is, when, when, when we give our life to Christ, and I can't say about before or what's happened in people's lives, but most of us, we give our life to Christ. It's something radical that changes. Something happens radical. Amen. And no one has to go, go up to us and go, did something radical happen to you? When you meet Christ, it's like when you really get saved, you get up and it's like... It's like literally the whole world, is, you see the world different, you think different. And one of the first things you think about is maybe you didn't. You realize, you know what, before you lived for yourself, your life was really pretty messed up. I did everything I wanted to do. My life was not, not very good. And you realize everything about my life, I was selfish. Self, I did what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. And that got me absolutely nowhere. And you realize everything was permeating your whole life with just nothing but self. And you realize, you know what? I did it my way, and God, here's my life. It's yours now, right? That's what's supposed to happen in people's lives. So repentance connects you to God. Just saying I'm sorry doesn't. Think about this, the prodigal, and I'm going to get back to him in a couple weeks. But the prodigal, he's in the pig pen. Most of you know the story very well. He's in the pig pen. He took his father's inheritance. He spent all of it. He's there in Las Vegas, he, and he spends all his money in Las Vegas. <laughs> at least he had enough sense to get away to sin. He takes it. Now, I many know the prodigal son, there's a lot of good traits about the guy. People write him off like he's such a bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy at all, actually, but that's another sermon. But he takes off to go sin. You know, <clears throat> so he leaves. At least he had enough sense. You know what? I'm not going to bring dishonor to my family. I'm going to go away from it. Let me tell you, how you live can bring honor or dishonor to our church. And that's for free, not in the notes, that's just free. Just take that with you. A gift from the Lord. So it does matter how you live and what you do. And so he had enough sense to, oh, I'm going to get away. He goes away, spends all his money. He's in the pig pen. We know he's Jewish. Jews had nothing to do with pigs. It's an unclean scene. There's so many ramifications. You find yourself in uncleanness. You find yourself doing things you never thought you would do. You find yourself being around people you never thought you'd be around. He's in the worst possible place he could be. He has no money. He has no food. He has basically no friends. And the Bible says he comes to his senses and says, I'm going to go home to my father. And, and he simply says when he sees his father, I have sinned. What I love about the prodigal is, and this is pretty cool, because he says, I have sinned. He doesn't blame anyone but himself. It's so refreshing to find someone, or it's so refreshing to meet be, be someone who's just, or you meet someone who's just honest enough to say it was me. No, and my father made me leave. I don't like his rules. And my younger brother, my older brother, was eating. I don't like how he was. Some, all they got is excuses. Listen, if all you, if all you got is excuses, you're never going to change. It's, uh, uh, how, what's wrong? Well, he said, what's well, wrong? No, no, Prodigal says he didn't do none of that, none of that modern day. He said, you know what? I, I have sinned. I have sinned. I, that's what he, I've done it. Me. No, I'm no a reason. It's just me because I wanted to and I did it. It's so refreshing to see someone like that. See, I sinned. But here's my point. In a short amount of time, he goes from not having no friends, no money, no food, to having everything he'd ever want. In a short amount, of, you read the verses, you're only talking maybe a, a few days from the moment he, not from the moment he was in sin, but the moment he had nothing, from the moment he cries out to the time it took him to get back home. It wasn't a long time, and his life went radically changed in a, in a short amount of time. That's the power of repentance. When a person repents, they're not saying, I'm just sorry. I shouldn't have done some bad things. I messed up. People say, oh, I messed up. I kind of failed. That isn't going to connect you to God. Repentance connects you to God. It's a radical change. It's when you completely change your heart, your desires, and you're going this way, and now you're going this way, and you're blaming no one but yourself. True repentance connects you to the power and the blessing And the help of heaven. We look at repentance as something bad. There's nothing bad about it. It's a gift from God. So let's talk about this for a moment. You read the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you read about Achan. You can read about Balaam. You can read about Saul. You can read about Judas. Each one of these men, I won't go into the verses. Each one of these men, they, they say something. They say, I have sinned. Now, you would think if someone says, I have sinned, that's repentance. Every one of the men I just mentioned said, I have sinned, but not one of them repented. They acknowledge what they did, but that's not repentance. Repentance isn't saying, I'm sorry. Job said, I, I, I have sinned, but he, he changed. The prodigal said, I have sinned, but he changed. David said, I have sinned, but he changed. There's a big difference. Simply saying, I, I've sinned, that doesn't get you anywhere. Where, where's, where's it going to take you? It doesn't, it doesn't mean you're going to change at all. So you think about, I was thinking about Saul and Samuel. So this might open a little bit of discussion here. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, just to refresh you, you can read the whole chapter. Samuel's a prophet. He's going to go away for a short amount of time. And he tells Saul, the king, I want you to wait here. and Don't do anything until I get back. I'll be back in seven days. So... Saul waits seven days, and then Samuel doesn't come back. And what he said was the appointed time. So Sam, what Saul does is he gives an offering to the Lord. He calls out to God. He does, actually, he does exactly what Samuel told him not to do. So Samuel comes home or comes back to Saul. Let me pick it up. Here's what it says. He waited seven days the set time by Saul, but he had not come. But Samuel had not come to Gilgal, and the troops began to scatter. Then Saul said, "Bring me the animals; going to offer a burnt offering." Verse ten. As soon as he finished the offering, Samuel came, and Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel asked him, "What have you done?" And Saul replied, "Well, I saw the troops were scattering, and you didn't come when you said you were come. You didn't come when you said you would come. And I saw the Philistines, the enemy, coming against me, so I thought now would be a good time to make an offering to the Lord." Then it says this, but I haven't sought the Lord's favor. I felt pressured into offering this burnt offering. And Samuel says this, you did a foolish thing. Samuel told Saul, you didn't follow the command of the Lord, your God. If you had, the Lord would have established your kingdom of Israel permanently. But now your kingdom will not last. The Lord has searched for a man after his own heart. The Lord has appointed him ruler over his people because you didn't follow the command of the Lord. Now, I don't fully understand this. I didn't take time to spend days studying it, but it's worth noting that for some reason, this particular sin of Samuel or Saul, him unwilling to wait, was enough to change everything in his life. In the wisdom of God, there is something in this decision. There are some choices you and I make to us, it may be like, no big deal, I didn't wait long enough. Well, not waiting long enough to obey God or disobey God can ruin your life, actually. And it looks on the surface like, yeah, it's no big sin, you didn't wait long enough, what's the big deal? For some reason, in the economy of God and the wisdom of God, God looks down at this man, this man who didn't have faith to wait, faith to have any kind of patience. God said, that's it, there's, there's something here that I cannot work with. And so you've done a foolish thing, your kingdom's over. It looks like just one choice, but that's not my that's not my point. My point is that's what he says to him. But he, Samuel, <clears throat> asks him what he done, and, and Saul says everything. And Saul even says to him, you know, I, I've done you know I've done something wrong here. But do you notice what Saul doesn't ever say? He doesn't repent. What, what, if, what if Samuel would have said to Saul, Saul, you did a foolish thing. You didn't wait for God. This is terrible. Well, what if he would have cried out in the mercy? You know what, God, forgive me. I, man, I should, I, you're right, Samuel. I didn't wait. I wasn't patient. I didn't believe God. I didn't have faith. God, forgive me. He may have found mercy. But you don't read none of those words at all. History tells us that David would take the throne. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, another story about Saul This time it's with the Amalekites. I won't read the whole chapter. You can read it, 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the enemies of God, and God told Samuel, told Saul, you know what I want you to destroy the Amalekites? Kill every single one of them. So Saul takes off, I mean Samuel takes off, and Saul's left there to take care of the Amalekites. The Bible says Samuel went to Saul and he greeted him. And he said, the Lord bless you, Samuel. And he said, I have obeyed the Lord. This is Saul talking. He says to Samuel, I have obeyed the Lord. How can you say that with a straight face? Because the story we're going to read in a minute, he didn't obey the Lord. He didn't kill all the Amalekites. He, he, he didn't do what he said. I won't get into the detail, but he didn't obey God. Sam, Samuel comes, and the first words out of his mouth, bless the Lord. I have obeyed the Lord. How do you say that with a straight face? Well, I think it's pretty, pretty easy. How many times have you lied with a straight face? Ain't no one gonna raise their hands. Yeah. Shoot. Christians lie. Oh, you better believe it. They'll lie with a, and I have obeyed the Lord. <laughs> yeah, if you, you obeyed the Lord and lied. And Samuel says, Well, hold on. I've told you to kill all the animals. I hear the sheep, I hear the cows then Saul answered the men uh, my men took them from the Amalekites they kept the best sheep and the, and the cattle to offer to the Lord verse 16 stop samuel ordered let me tell you what the Lord has told me last night let me stop there for a moment he tells them kill all the animals kill everything saul says i kept the best for an offering you never, you never obey God by disobeying Him. <laughs> That's religious insanity. Do you understand what I'm saying? He said, I've obeyed God. I, I've given offering to the Lord. Samuel says, hold on here. Let me tell you what God told me last night. Then he says this. Then Samuel said, I sent you I gave you orders to destroy the Amalekites. I told you to kill them all, and then why didn't you obey me? Then he tells, basically, he gives an little insight to Saul's life. He says, why did you rush, or why, why did you covet all the loot to displease the Lord? Now, here's God's take. Here's Samuel's take. Here's Saul's take. Saul says, we did this to be a blessing to God, to I mean a sacrifice to God, and so Samuel the prophet says, no, the real reason you did this is because you coveted the blessing. You saw all the spoils and you wanted some. You grabbed it. That's the real reason. How many know sometimes there are reasons? Then there's a the real reason. He says, then you grabbed all the loot and you displeased God. You didn't obey the Lord. And Saul went on to say, basically, he did. He said, I gave an offering to God. Then he says this, verse 22, Samuel said... Which does God prefer better, obedience or offerings and sacrifice? It is better to obey than to offer sacrifice. Rebellion to him is as bad as witchcraft, and arrogance is sinful as idolatry. The story continues. Saul says this one phrase, I think one, two, maybe even three times. Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I, I've disobeyed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel says, okay, I'm not going to go back with you. I'm not going to go back in the town. And then listen to this. It's just crazy. Here's Samuel saying, you, you disobeyed God. Saul says, well, okay, okay, I disobeyed God. But at least we go back in front of all the people. At least honor me in front of all the people. This is what he says. He's, we're getting ready to go back to church. At least act like we're, still, we're, we're tight. This is what he says. Samuel says, I'm not going to go back with you. You rejected the command of the Lord and you've been rejected as king of Israel. Then Samuel turned to leave, but Saul grabbed his new suit, my version, grabbed his cloak and he tore it and he said, Samuel, and Samuel said, the Lord has, turn, has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given to someone better than you. Then verse 30, Saul says again, I have sinned, but at least now show me some respect in front of all the people and all the people of Israel. Go back with me so I can worship the Lord with you, but I want the people to see me with you. Let me stop there. <clears throat> what in the world is wrong with Saul? This, this, where's the mic at? Someone has the mic. What's wrong with Saul? I know there's a million reasons what's wrong. What the sense I'm talking about? Uh, can I give you a little, a little uh, hint? Repentance? Okay, what's wrong with Saul? No repentance. Good answer. Good, you're sharp. Okay, so we got the mic. What's wrong with Saul? We could hear you from your house, but go ahead. No, 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 behind you. So he wanted to have an appearance of righteousness or an appearance of repentance before man, but he didn't want to deal with the root issue, which was his heart. And Samuel, he, Samuel don't play that, right? He, he, he knows what's right. He's not going to come and put on a show to save face for Saul, he's, he, you know, he's the prophet of God. He speaks for God. He said what he said, he said, that's it. I'm not gonna play games, I'm not gonna pretend. Uh, you, know, you wanna go back, you wanna pretend, you wanna save face, fine, but I'm not gonna associate myself with that. So, like you said, repentance. I can't get it wrong, he gave me the answer. Okay, Nick. <clears throat> uh, he's humiliated. Uh, By his own actions And his disguise Was uncovered And so now he's having to look in the mirror And he's humiliated By what he had done And how he had been uh, uncovered Now he's naked before the Lord But he's about to be naked before the people And he doesn't want That humiliation because now he's got to face The actual people and look them in the eyes Which the issue Is that he's not He's not humiliated about where he stands before God now rather he wants the popular uh, vote of the people toward him and not God to some degree amen he he let me just move on so he cares more about what man thinks than what God thinks and that's a problem with a lot of people they care more about what man thinks than what God thinks I'd rather please man than please God, if it comes down to it. I'll please man over God. That's what Saul does. Saul says, you know what? I, I care more about this than I do this. And again, even though he, says, he said the phrase, I have sinned, you and I would listen to that. I go, man, he's, man. this guy's broken. He's not broken. He just said, I have sinned. He, he never repented. He just said, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. That's what people do today. I'm sorry. I just made a mistake. It's all good now. Who said it's all good now? Just because you said it's all good and made mistakes, good? No, 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 no. There's sometimes there's. I mean, no, there's 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 consequences to sin, and yes, there's forgiveness. But sometimes the sins are so bad, there are consequences to forgiven sin. One man said it like this: If a man looks for greatness outside of God, it matters little whether he seeks it on his own applause or in other people. You know, I've seen people, you know, right here like this. It's like I've seen people come to my office, you know, and they're broken. And they're just, and some people just, they're just like really broken. They're, Pastor, I got to talk to you. And they tell me about this horrific sin that's committed or happened to them. Or, and they're just broken. They can't talk. They're weeping. And I've also seen other people come in with just as bad as sin and come and talk like it was nothing. It's like, and I guess that's the human heart, right? We're capable, any one of us are capable of that. But I also found out the person that's been broken by it, and, and what I'd call true repentance, people that are like that, their life goes on, and lots of times even becomes more fruitful, and if I can use the word better, becomes a, a better life. I think there's something powerful about just being honest before God and repenting. I mean, really repenting. Just saying, God, I'm, I'm, this is me. This is what I've done. I'm sorry. And so torn up by it that heaven opens and God touches and God moves in that person's life. And someone else do the same sin and like no big deal. Like, And I've had people do that. Like no big deal. What do you mean no big deal? You just ruined your family. You, you, what are you talking about? And it's like, what's wrong? You know, here's the problem. We live in a generation today, now, that's lost the ability to repent. I should say it like this. They've lost an understanding of true repentance. They've lost an understanding. True repentance is exactly that. It's, you know, it's a... When someone's really repentant, they're broken. Yeah, and not, not saying, all oh, you always have to, you have to have the emotion with it. But most of the time, there's emotion that goes with it. And there's tears, and they're sorry. And they're, it's not just, I'm sorry, they're, they're, though they are. They're sorrowful. They're, there's tears. There's brokenness. Someone's radically, here's the difference. When that happens, they are radically changed. So let's go back. If a person isn't willing to repent and is not willing to live a life of repentance, maybe they won't be so radically changed, or if not, they'd be changed very little. So I think sometimes the reason why people are not changed much is because they don't repent much. They don't see a need for repentance That's good preaching, Pastor, good teaching. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Dale, for that. Let me read a couple quotes. Fred Gates says, Guilt is one of mankind's least favorite emotions. We try to avoid it like the plague. We live in the denial of, of our wrongness, of our actions, and we make up all kinds of excuses to justify our behavior. When we don't let ourselves feel the weight of guilt, we remove ourselves from the protective covering of God's moral standard. Philip Yancey said it like this, we ought to look at guilt as a gift from God. I've heard talk talk hosts on the radio talk about guilt and how bad it is and whoever thought of guilt and we we need to find a way to get rid of guilt. Guilt. And they they talk like guilt is bad. Sometimes it's the best thing that happens. If you do wrong, you ought to feel guilty. You're guilty. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's terrible conduct. Yeah, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, and Jeremiah says God's people come to a point in time, they're not ashamed. They they don't even blush over their sin anymore. That's this generation. Uh, You're talking about sins openly, at least before it was hidden. Now they do. Openly, sinful, wicked, bad, like no big deal. It is a big deal. Of course, it's a big deal. And and, and if you do wrong, there's shame, there's guilt, but there's forgiveness. It's not just to beat someone up. No, no, no. It it drives you. So let me finish here. He says it like this. Guilt, he says, deserves my gratitude for such a powerful force can nudge me towards reconciliation, reconciliation with those that I've wronged, including God. Guilt reminds us of our place as moral beings accountable to God, Guilt is not just a state to cultivate a mood or slip into a few days. It should be a directional movement. First, the pointing backward to the sin and then pointing forward to change. A person who feels no guilt never finds healing. Neither can a person who wallows in guilt find healing. The sense of guilt only serves its designated purpose as a symptom that presses us towards the cure, which is repentance found in Christ. You know, we repent. We, we come, and not that every time you've got to come, you're weeping and weaving, but you, you're open and say, God, forgive me. I, I forgive me. It's There's no round this thing. Forgive me. I've, I, I've done what I wanted to do. I'm not following your will. Second Corinthians says it like this. Second Corinthians 7.10, it says, For godly sorrow that is in accord with the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation, But worldly sorrow, the hopelessness of sorrow of those who do not believe produces death. The Good News Translation says it like this. For the sadness that is used by God brings a change of heart that will lead someone to salvation. And there is no regret in that. But sadness that is merely human causes death. We're talking people sometimes just fail and they do something bad. No, we're talking about repentance. Repentance. One man said like this, make sure your repentance is just as notorious as your rebellion was. Make sure your repentance is just as notorious as your rebellion was. I won't say who, but I've asked people to tell the church they're sorry. And the people that have been willing to do that or people that are willing to repent, really repent. Their lives are changed, and I can honestly say they're better today than they were yesterday. Here's a quote it says the cross of Christ is evidence that God is well aware of your shortcomings your failures and how wicked you would be and yet still he's extended to you his grace his mercy to anyone who would submit to his love.